0: Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast, produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website,
1: dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. Today, we have with us a very special guest, Ms. Danielle McKinley. Say good morning.
0: Good morning, everyone.
1: Hi, happy to have you here. Grateful to have you here. Um, I know we're going to get into some really fun, you know, like awesome, exciting conversations about HIPAA and HIPAA compliance today. Um, before we um, get to all that fun stuff, um, Daniel, tell me how you became the HIPAA Chick. And by the way, um, I say HIPAA Chick, you are known on Instagram as the HIPAA Chick. It's a good place for people to find you and your content as well. Um, how'd you get there? What's your background? How'd you get into this?
0: Yeah, well first, um, A, thank you for having me. Not always do we start a podcast off about having fun around HIPAA compliance. So I'm glad that you did because we can have some fun there, right? Um, But a a little bit about me. I have been in the risk management industry for over 10 years. I specialize in helping private practices simplify compliance. And the HIPAA chick was a nickname given to me by a dear friend. Um, He was an IT partner of mine. And it just kind of stuck. It's something that has made it a little more fun. It's easy to remember member. And it, it speaks, it rings true to, you know, you say it in your household, like, I've got a guy for that, that could come and help. Well, I'm the gal that helps with HIPAA compliance.
1: Yeah. So you work with, do you work in dental practices or do you work with other types of healthcare practices too?
0: Yeah, so um, my journey is through PCI HIPAA, that's the the company that I work for. Mm -hmm. And we work with all privately owned healthcare verticals today. But when we started just in dental, and so we have 1000s of users nationwide, and 80% of them are in the dental space. So I definitely specialize in dental.
1: So I, I'm going to kind of jump into the conversation. We had an attorney um, on the program not too long ago um, who uh, specializes in uh, HIPAA, um, as, as you do. And, you know, the subject kind of turned a little bit towards um, HIPAA compliance regarding COVID vaccines um, and talking to, you know, your patients. And is it a HIPAA compliant if my boss says that I've been or been not been vaccinated and what have you? Um, I don't want to go down that tunnel today. Um, but what I do want to talk about, and I think it's really important to talk about, and, and, and the let me tell you the reason why we had that guest on. Let me back up even further. Sure. Is there so much chatter just in general about HIPAA? And I see things, I see HIPAA on major dental Facebook groups. I see the most blatant HIPAA violations. Um, I, I understand a little bit about it. I'm not an expert like you are. Um, I know that you're able to share a patient photo to get... Um, expert advice from your peers. Um, That's okay, but you can't just share photos for fun unless you have the permission of the patient and so on and so forth. So I see all this chat. I I see people talk about what is a violation, what is not a violation. Um, What I'd like to ask you today is what are some of the most common violations that you see that practices partake in that they're not aware that they are, that they have no clue, that they don't think about it, it's not as exciting as a COVID vaccine? What are those violations?
0: Yeah, certainly. So there's a couple that come to mind. Um, I'll use one because you you talked about sharing images. So a lot of doctors um, will do speaking engagements, right, where they talk about case studies and things like that. And because they use that image to collaborate with their peers. They didn't get an authorization form from the patient and then they used it in this speaking engagement. And there could be office managers in attendance and now it's not used in that same way that peer to peer collaboration. So that's a really big mistake that is easy to avoid by just always as a best practice getting an authorization form from the patient. So saying, hey, I want to use this to collaborate with my peers and use as a case study. Will you give me authorization to use this image? And it's a simple form that they can have. And that way now it's that, that I and T is dotted and crossed and they can use it in any way they want to in the future because the patient has already authorized that.
1: The patient has a right to revoke that privilege at any time too, correct?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So if they, you know, if they, if they let them know that, then that would have to be removed from any, um, you know, PowerPoint decks or things like that in the future or moving forward. Or if they use it on social media, because you'll see, especially in dental, like a lot of the cosmetic dentists, for example, they'll use before and after pictures on their Instagram and they need to be getting an authorization form from the patient to do that um yeah. and that way if if something happens down the line and the patient is upset you're really protecting yourself from that how you used that image. So sure. that's a big one um especially you know in the dental field on the on the cosmetic side for sure. And then um another one that I see regularly is with office managers so office managers wear a ton of hats they deserve huge pats on the back because they really run the show for a practice and as a result sometimes they get busy and let's say um i'm danielle mckinley right and i call and ask for my patient record because i'm moving i want it emailed to me they email me danielle McKinley's file because it sounds similar they're moving fast that happens all the time and that's that's a hipaa violation that you have to take specific steps in order to protect yourself. Um those are the two, you know, most common I would say that I see.
1: Yeah. So I've actually had, you know, working with uh medical professionals, um, you know, I've actually had people email me patient healthcare, protected healthcare information incidentally, sure. um, in that same exact um fashion. No. I want to keep on these, that's number one and number two. I want to kind of interrupt a little bit and ask um, this. Now you violate HIPAA, you screwed up. You know, you left the file cabinet door open and the files blew out the window and patient records are all over the, the parking lot, right? That was a HIPAA violation 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, what do you, what does what the law require that you do if you in fact accidentally provide protected healthcare information to non-privileged parties?
0: Yeah, so it depends on the scale. So nothing is black and white uh, with compliance, right? A lot of people know that, which is what makes it so complicated to comply with. So I'll give you two examples. One let's use the email example. So two parties received unintended information, both parties need to be notified, it needs to be documented internally, and it needs to be part of the annual submission to Health and Human Services. And that's for your protection, because if it comes back to you, um, by submitting it, it doesn't mean you're on their radar, you're showing you did everything, you followed the proper protocols. And now if the the unintended patient's information that was exposed, if they're upset about it, you're protecting yourself from penalties down the line. Okay, so that's going to be like small scale. Um, And it depends on the incident. So it's helpful to have someone to call to say, you know, hey, how do we do this right now on a larger scale, let's use cyber attacks as a you know example because those yeah. are growing exponentially. We've got ransomware, phishing scams, accidental clicks on text messages, even that are are getting viruses into a practice's network.
1: Sure. In
0: that scenario, it's a large scale. So that triggers the breach notification laws. And that's when things get ugly. Um, it starts with a forensic investigation. That'll help a practice determine you know, what data was exposed. Typical cost that we're seeing now is between twenty and thirty thousand as a starting point for mm-hmm. forensics,
1: yep. and that's
0: going to be on the lower end, which you can probably attest to with with your background. And then um, from there, you get a data set. You have to notify the patients. You have to do so in writing. You've got to put a call center in place. You have to pay for things like identity theft monitoring and insurance. And this is all while you're still trying to run your business. So having a, an action plan and an understanding of the breach notification laws is going to be really helpful in recovering quickly from it and avoiding any unnecessary expenses.
1: Yeah, makes sense to me. The, the third, what's the third biggest uh, mistake or unknown breach of HIPAA you see practices participate in?
0: Yeah. So it comes down to devices. So I'll kind of give you two. Um, so a lot of people use mobile phones. Now everybody loves text messaging. So making sure that if, if a device is being used for that, especially if it's a personal device too, not a lot of people want to carry two phones that they've got the proper authentication and passwords to protect it so that if the phone is lost or stolen, you can't just view that information. And I say twofold because that goes along with iPads and laptops mm-hmm. yep. um, We're not traveling as much as we used to, but I've definitely seen a laptop and an iPad left behind in the TSA line Um, or, you know, you leave it in an Uber. You want to make sure that those devices are protected because if they don't have the right passwords and encryptions and they are lost or stolen, that can trigger the breach notification laws that we just talked about.
1: Sure. And I think as far as passwords and that sort of thing is concerned, refresh me if uh, if I'm wrong here, but I think HIPAA's language is, you have to take reasonable measures, correct? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's what makes it tough, right? Because how do we define reasonable? Who defines reasonable? And you're kind of just rolling the dice on who you end up working with within health and human services um, as part of the enforcement side and and what their definition is. So
1: um,
0: that's, that's again, where it helps to, work with a professional so that you can have that identified for you.
1: Sure. And I think working with a professional too, and I know a lot of practices don't, but I think working, if you ever got hauled in for lack of better words, right? If you ever faced a lawsuit from 25 patients, and I think some people think the patients have no recourse. That's not true. Patients can sue and they have sued. And there's plenty of cases where malpractice insurance is actually covered um, and is invested to protect, um, providers from those lawsuits. Um, so patients absolutely have a right to sue. You have to prove damages. I understand damages have to be proven, but you know, attorneys, you know, obviously that there are attorneys that are chasing these types of cases. So, um, if you hire a professional, I have to assume, and I want to be careful about that. I want to really make sure I emphasize the word assume that, that is helping prove that you've taken measures. Correct. Um, what is your policy? What are you doing? What is your, what is your team doing? Um, how much training are they getting on HIPAA? If there, none of that's in place, I can imagine liabilities bigger. Would you, or larger, would you agree with that?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, HIPAA, Health and Human Services even just passed what's called the Safe Harbor Bill. And that is a a part of what you're describing. So being able to show that you've taken action, that you have an awareness to these compliance requirements, that drastically reduces your financial obligations or exposure from an incident. But if you're completely ignoring compliance or the stuff that you have, you put in place a few years ago, you haven't done updates, you're not actively training or checking these things, then there's, there's major financial exposure in those cases, for sure.
1: I know I asked you for five, I didn't write them down. I, we were either item number three or number four, but we, do, we have time for one more. What's one more major issue that you see that practices can correct quickly? Yeah, I think
0: um, definitely training. Training is something that can be corrected really quickly. So what a lot of practices don't understand is that, you know, training isn't there to be a nuisance to take away from treating patients and to have your team go through something that's not fun and exciting. Um, It's there to help them understand the do's and don'ts. But second to that, which is where practices don't always realize is it's intended to protect the doctor and the practice owner because human error is the number one cause of data breaches and patient complaints that can lead to criminal action, right? Or legal action. And the training is what protects them. So the number one mistake that I'm seeing today is, I think this has to do a, a bit with the pandemic because there were so many webinars practices think that attending a CE webinar satisfies their training for the year. And it, that doesn't satisfy the <clears throat> training requirement. So if you're thinking, if you're listening to this and that's what you did and you're thinking you've checked that box, there's, there's some exposures that still exist.
1: It's yeah. great advice, Danielle. I really appreciate you coming here. I want to, the website, um, for people. First of all, it's the HIPAA chick on Instagram. Great way to find you. Great amount of content on there too, by the way. Thank you for providing that for, yeah, for the community. We really appreciate that. And then the website is pcihippa.com. Great way to, to uh, find you, uh, to learn more about you and get more information. Danielle, thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Can I add something for you guys?
1: You bet, of course. I
0: put I put something together for your listeners. So if you can direct them to pcihipa.com forward slash Danielle, you'll see that I provided like a bunch of free tools. Like I put a CE course there, a, a risk assessment, which is a really great first step if a practice is kind of unsure of where they're at. So they can go get the free stuff. So if you want to edit out the direction to the forward slash Danielle, they'll be able to get free stuff.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. We appreciate it. And our audience does. We'll make sure to put that, by the way, Daniel, we'll put that on our Facebook, um, on the website too, and make sure we get that out there. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you guys. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? Search The Dental Brief on Facebook or visit our website, dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.